The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me it's a very very special guest formerly known as america's heartthrob or the boss of course two-time nwa united states heavyweight champion he's mr magnum ta magnum welcome to two-man power trip well welcome back how you doing uh you know what always a pleasure to talk to you guys so what's going on in your world? What's the kind of the latest? What have you been up to? Well, the the latest is Greg Gagne and Steve Rosenthal are, are like running me crazy because I have a I have a full time job in the telecom industry that takes up uh, like more hours in the day than I have time to do it, and I've been hastily working on in the background on on the <laughs> Power Town Wrestling with those guys. Uh, promoting the 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 series one of our uh you know first line of uh figures depicting the legends of wrestling and uh it's uh it's, it's quite an adventure that is awesome how did like that all happen how did it all come back because the figures look amazing well you know that that's a testimony to to you know a, amazing talented uh, sculptures that steve rosenthal had brought into the group from from his past history a fellow named andy frank who uh, is is world class in uh, in doing those 3D sculptures? So you know they the guys approached me basically a year ago last June and asked me if I'd like to be part of a collectible series that they were doing on Legends of Wrestling and I and I I was flattered to be asked and Greg and our old friends so you know I I, I jumped on board to have them do a you know do some memorabilia for me. And next thing I knew, I was involved in in uh, bigger talks about the grand scheme of things and and the potential of how large uh, you know uh, an audience there was out there that would appreciate this, and also the the large number of people that Greg and I both knew that could benef- benefit by being part of this roster and this team. Man, they just look unreal. When I first saw them, I was like, yeah, it's probably not real. Like, I don't know if they'll be able to get it, but it is real and, and they're amazing. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm always one of those, you know, the proofs in the pudding kind of guys. I, I'm, uh, as I saw it unfold and develop and, and what they were creating, I started getting excited about it. Then when I saw the detail we were going into with the intricacies of, of, you know, the jackets and the vest and the robes and, and the belts. And then I, I really got interested because I, I, I know the authenticity part of it is, is such a, uh, in demand piece for the true connoisseur kind of a, of these things. So and we we reached out to uh, Dave Milliken, who owns the rights to all all the Reggie Park designs for over the years, and and we uh, got into a working agreement with him to authenticate and license what we were doing of, of the belts that Reggie had had his hands on, and uh, just it just keeps you know it keeps morphing into this bigger and, and bigger thing. So. Uh, yeah, the the detail for the, the the heads are just absolutely amazing. Like something would come out of a uh, a museum piece, kind of crazy good. And uh, the the scale, the authenticity, trying to be you know close to the actual stature 
is something that I don't think anybody else has really uh, strived for in the industry. Matter of fact, I've, yeah, I've got a figure of, of Dusty and I that Mattel did, and Dusty was a good two, three inches shorter than me, and his figure is about makes it look like he's about six foot six and I'm five ten or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the big boys, you know, struggle with that and keeping those things in scale uh, too. So I think we're starting off on the right foot, trying to give a unique depiction of, of, of what can be created with modern technology today. That's the first thing I noticed about Brody. I was like, okay, obviously he is tall, a little bit taller than Stan Hansen, but in the figure, he's a little taller than Stan Hansen. So it makes sense. It's like, wow, they, they nailed it on that. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and this is the beginning. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get, you know, constructive feedback from uh, from the collectors, uh, you know, after we get this first series out and they get it in their hands and, and we're very attuned to, to listening, to, you know, wanting to, you know, I mean, we can't satisfy everybody's uh, little nuance out there that might be, but, but nonetheless, we have a very educated consumer and we're going to be, uh, you know, careful to listen to that and 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 take advantage of those notes because it can it can uh, be beneficial for everybody. So there's going to be a seat not season, I guess series number two. Yes, there will be. You know, good Lord willing, there'll be a series two, three, four, five, six. You know, right on along. We have we've got a uh, a plethora of 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 talent. And the people that have made such a mark in wrestling history, uh, you know, all the way back to the 50s. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at all kinds of different ways to make these characters come back alive for people that, that don't even know their history, don't even know about them. I mean, I was a fan of wrestling when I was young and read lots of things about it. And, of course, amateur wrestling before that. So I was always, like, researching and and interested in those kind of things. And, you know, people today, the, the older generation, you know, they certainly remember, but we got a whole new generation that only knows of what they can see on YouTube or the WWE network or, you know, what, what archives are out there. And there's a wealth of other archives, uh, you know, that, that are available to show, you know, the earliest stages of, of television when, uh, you know, when Greg's dad, Vern, was just coming on the scene as a young man and, and a you know amazing talented uh, amateur you know wrestler out of the Olympics and bursting into this scene and you know, wrestling wrestling is how what put television on the map so it's uh, you know some great stories to tell and a host of just bigger than life personalities that uh, you know blazed a trail you know, laying the foundations for what uh, you know folks enjoy today and you know quote unquote sports entertainment it's funny because Vern, one of the first tv stars legit tv stars in the 50s and 60s it's like wow like now there's a figure of him people learn their history and then even further back than him a little bit a little bit further back but luthez another guy if you're a wrestling historian or a wrestling fan you know those names very well or you should know them very well two of the pillars of really what we have in wrestling today without them to start it off, I don't know, you know, how the lineage kind of continues. So that's awesome. You guys have those two as, as two of the big names in, in the pack. And there, there's, there's lots of guys to honor and lots of stories to tell. And we're uh, creating a platform to be able to share those stories and memories, uh, you know, with the fans as, as we do this. And it's going to be, you know, it's not just going to be chronological. We'll, we'll have samplings from different eras with, with each run that we come out with. So it won't be like you've just got to, you know, crawl out of the fifties into the sixties. We'll, we'll be giving samplings, you know, of each of those eras. And we've got a great representation of women and, and as well as uh, the little people that grace the big square circle with us, they used to go on tour with uh, Andre and, and had some really entertaining matches, uh, particularly in the sixties and seventies you look at it obviously it's luthez Vern Gagne, stan hansen magnum ta yourself uh, Ke um, kevin von eric and or excuse me carrie von eric and brody did i mention brody so brody hansen yeah. okay so that's the six right so far right so we've got three we've got three representing the 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 national wrestling alliance and carrie and i and, and, and lou 
and and Stan and and Vern and Brody are are more from the AWA era. Although you know they wrestled, they all wrestled. Uh, Stan and 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 uh, Brody wrestled all over the world, and certainly were you know it, it made an impact in the NWA as well. But we kind of kind of broke it up like uh, you know in in an association alliance kind of thing, and, and it's pretty cool. Who got to pick those six? Well, it was a it was an ongoing conversation because I wasn't initially uh, cast in that first iteration. Uh, I don't even know exactly how it it pivoted over to me, but there there were so many names that were all over the place, and there was so many names that had been you know a lot of the guys that we have that kind of in that '80s '90s era. Now, you know, some of those guys had been done. So I've had the one figure that Mattel did 10 years ago, and it was uh, it was not the adaption of, of me where I transitioned over to the red tights and certainly didn't represent the, the U.S. heavyweight title with it. So it, uh, it, it, you know, it seemed like on paper because of the sheer, uh, you know, uniqueness of it, uh, that it made sense. And, uh, and Carrie and I were, were very much in the kind of in the mainstream at the same time in the mid eighties. Uh, we last picture of Carrie and I was at Kaminsky park coincidentally enough and, and Vern's big extravaganza that he did there. And I wrestled flair for the world title on the, I'm not sure who Carrie wrestled, but that was the last picture of he and I together. And I'd known him and all his brothers and spent a lot of good time with them down in Florida and in Texas. And when I was in mid South, so uh, you know a lot, a lot of mutual respect and and love and uh, you know kind of family kind of atmosphere between us and them. Love to Von Erich. Great that that Carrie is a part of that because one of the all time greats, definitely. And it's awesome that you're a part of it. I mean, you should be a part of it. Like that first set because obviously one of the all time greats. And that's the '80s wheelhouse right there. The early '80s to mid '80s wheelhouse. You and Carrie. Well, it 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 built it built that momentum. It took things, you know, like to yet another level. I mean, obviously I had a very untimely career ending accident in October of 86, but I literally from a hospital bed watched in five months, the whole landscape, you know, evolve from big, huge arena business to pay-per-view business, which changed the the industry completely. And we went from, uh, you know, packing arenas and putting ten and twelve thousand people in them to be able to reach out to millions of people that were paying to see an event, uh, you know, worldwide, and uh, the, you know the industry just exploded. And we owe a lot of that to Vince because Vince was pushing pushing the envelope and spreading out into into new areas and creating a fan base that weren't traditional wrestling fans, and it just opened up this, you know, opened up the globe to everybody that wanted to go out and get a piece of that action. What did you think about Vince retiring? Well, you know, I think he deserves to retire. He certainly, you know, put in more time and, and made a, you know, impact on the industry that'll, you know, I don't think anybody will ever surpass uh, what his mark and what he's done in the, in the history books. So, you know, I, I think you, and you've worked that hard and, and uh, created as many memorable moments as he has. You, you deserve a little time to sit back and just enjoy it, and uh, you know, wa- watch the fruits of your labor out there uh, continuing to flourish. With that accident in October of 1986, before that happened, did you know, like, you were headed for the main event of Starcade? Like, were you told, like, like where you were going to be if that hadn't happened? Like, what the future kind of held for you or the immediate the, ti- the title, The title had been, you know, had totally been decided that we the, that I was going to get a run with the title. I mean, you, getting a run with the title and, you know, what you do with it when you get that run, you know, we can we can guess about it till the cows come home. But, I mean, I I really felt that I was ready for the opportunity uh, and it was a little different than, say, Rick, when Rick first got his opportunity for the world title. You know, he was having to travel to New Zealand and Japan and, you know, all over the world, you know, defending the title against everybody and their brother because there was all these territories and all these 
parts of the NWA. When I was being being groomed to to step in that role, there was really only two players in the world. One was Jim Crockett, the other was Vince McMahon. So although I would have still had the responsibilities of that title, it would have been controlled much more strategically where I went and who I wrestled against and who I was representing, uh, you know, to the world, you know, my capabilities by the Crockett's because the the territories had had ceased to be a power in, uh, you know, in what was going on as everything transitioned. So did they tell you like when though? Was it definitely going to be Starcade '86? No, they you know they didn't say when. And and the thing was is the way Dusty and I, you know and I I was with Dusty every day and saw his creative vision and and the way things were happening. And everybody thought, oh, it would have been Starcade, you know '86, and we could have done it in a house show. I mean, it was see the 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 mega show pay-per-view thing hadn't blown to you know to you know to the to the ceiling you know flair and i might had a rematch in a starcade where i would have defended it back against him and we might might just roll on tbs you know one saturday morning with you know with me having a button in my vest and there would be you know and if you weren't the arena you wouldn't have seen it because it was still that kind of mentality back there that that we we controlled our own destiny and we didn't have to you know, we would control how the people perceived it and then, you know, change the narrative after the fact. But, uh, you know, I don't know that it would have been the pay-per-view. It could have been, uh, you know, it could have been before it or after it. To me, I'm always curious, like, how it gets decided you're going to be champ. I mean, obviously, you were super over. You look like a million bucks. You know, U.S. title, then, you know, should be the next phase would be the world title. But does that get decided by Dusty? Is it Jim Crockett Jr.? Is it Flair saying that he's going to, like, how does that all get decided, like, that you're going to be the next champ or you're the next guy? Then, at that time, the alliance was still in place, okay? It was it was still a group of people that vote on it. and And so... I had gone to the, we'd had the NWA uh, big meeting in uh, in Vegas that year, and uh, they had me come speak at it and kind of, you know, getting every getting folks approval and whatnot. And I think, I think it was that was in the summer of '86, and I believe the Crockett's and Dusty flew me up to New York and took me out in New York and told me the decision had been made and what we were going to do. And, and again, we didn't, we didn't talk about the, the where or the when they had a different concept of the business. And it's comical to say now, because obviously, you know, we can see what Rick's gone on to do, but they didn't want a, a 37 year old champion. They wanted a 20 some year old champion and they wanted that to be the, the marquee, you know, the, the, the one that carried the load for the business, as far as representing the Crockett promotion, that's what they wanted. They wanted that youth movement. They recognized Rick's undeniable talent in his abilities, but they were already looking at him as like a quote unquote, like a Jack Nicholas type, you know, uh, character and, and being the gold, the golden bear, they, they, one of them called it, you know, in, in always being in the mix and, and all those things. But, you know, as, as we all can tell today, as, as Rick has wrestled, you know, through, through five decades, uh, you know, nothing would have stopped him if, if they had done that and he and, and things had gone well. And, and that would have been the question because at the time I was a baby face and there would have been no plan to turn me heel. And, you know, aside from Hogan being champion, you know, it, it's not historical for a baby face to carry the title for long periods of time. So I was, you know, if you noticed, I was kind of a heel baby face kind of character anyway, in that, you know, I knocked out the president of the NWA because he, you know, irritated me over a comment about my mom. And, uh, I, and, and I was, I was fringing on that, what became an, the Attitude Era. So I would have probably, you know, been been a more aloof type character that I would probably would have only had a lot with Dusty 
and nobody else. And I probably could have worked with different people as a result of that. Not to, you know, quote unquote, ever been a heel, but, but, uh, you know, edgy enough that I could have gone out there and had a match with, uh, with Ricky Morton or somebody like that, you know, and, and had a, had a, you know, something that, uh, stirred everybody's excitement up and said, Ooh, that's, you know, that's, that's different. And wouldn't have had to gone and, and, uh, you know, nutshotted somebody <laughs> or, or done something like that, but just the attitude of it could have, could have carried that flavor. Did you like being the shade of gray a little bit? Cause like the boss isn't the, you know, eat your vitamins, uh, say your prayers kind of guy. I mean, he was a little edgy, a little bit gray, a little bit like a old Western cowboy. That's not going to, you know, listen to the sheriff in town like that. Yeah, Cause I, my, cause my heroes were, were, you know, Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and Charles Bronson. And they were always that edgy kind of character. You know, they weren't just, you know, singing zippity doodah and skipping around, you know, just like, uh, like, I mean, and there's place for that. There's baby faces that, that can be that, but that wasn't, as I developed this persona and this character and then was honing it and just really, uh, you know, just starting to test the things that I could do, uh, you know, I was more and more comfortable in that fighting, brawling, you know, scrout, you know, scowl on my face kind of mode. And, and, uh, you know, and I just, it's, it's, it's a crying shame because I just started that program with Jimmy Garvin and Precious and Jimmy is, oh, one of the, one, one of the best workers you'd ever want to be in the ring with. So, and, and he could talk, I mean, he could talk and make, and make himself likable, even though you wanted to kill him at the same time, because he was just that entertaining and Patty was perfect, you know, one with him. And uh, I, I could just imagine you know, what he and I could have done, you know, had I snagged that title off a of flare and the, the, the program I could have had with him could have been just absolutely insane and never even got to really test the waters on that to uh, see where it could have gone. But that was my last match was with Jimmy in a lumberjack match in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So it almost seems like he was the, the buildup to flare. But that that wasn't said though. That, that just was assumed by everyone. Yeah, and 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 that's you know, and that was part of the reason. You know, it was a twofold thing. So the series with Nikita was for me in my mind was my graduation test. So I so I'm in a program with a big, rough, rugged, you know, intense, believable heel who who his credibility was, you know, not even in question, but his, his experience was, was, you know, not that long in the business. So to be suddenly, you know, at this time, I'm not quite seven years I've been in the business and I'm in this program. And of course we have Ivan, Ivan out there that helped Nikita tremendously and, and guiding him. But I mean, it was just him and I in that ring you know, working that series. And we put th some 30, 45 minute matches together that, that were, you know, really good, good work. And for me, that was my, yeah, I can, if I, if I got to general it and it's on me and, and I, and I'm given somebody that wants it bad, I can go out there and have a great match. And that, and a, a champion has got to be able to do that. It's got to be able to go out there with anybody and, and have a contest that's that's that holds up and believable that best of seven with you and nikita is awesome i mean that that's one of the great like dusty booking things because he's kind of on the come up looks like a million dollars you're on the come up going to be obviously building yourself way up the ladder but like you said he was very green but it's one of the things it's like okay he's playing this russian character he's tied with ivan during the the cold war like so he's going to be a huge heel and he looks like a super villain like it's like he's like the perfect storm and as long as you can carry him yeah and and the thing is and he had to have people around him that that would continue that mystique and the, and you know it's like it's it's so weird the it was like i like this Amazing thing that they turned him babyface when I had the tragedy deal, but how much better might it have been? And can you imagine? Can you imagine Magnum Nikita two? 
you know, this time him, the U.S. champion, me, the world champion, and that clash, and him still, you know, being the big monster and, and being, you know, staying in that character because he was not protected, in my estimation, by the heels on the other side of the fence when he went babyface to maintain him in that light. And he hadn't, he hadn't been through the, the hundreds of matches that I'd been in on top working with really seasoned pros that may or may not want to take care of you. And if they don't want to take care of you, you need to know how to take care of yourself. And that only comes from experience. So he got thrust into, he had to completely, you know, switch, switch his whole deal, his gears and go in this, you know, superpowers, you know, thing with this bigger than life American dream, dusty roads. And, and it was great. Don't get me wrong, but it, but it had that other path kept being able to go on that linear pace that he was on with the heat that he was carrying. Uh, there, there's no telling, you know, where his career would have, would have continued to go. Yeah, because it was almost like he wasn't quite ready for what they were going to give him. And then, like you said, like he was much better in the heel role. But once you changed it, it, it does change everything. I know he ended up feuding with Flair and getting a big world title match, but it was, he wasn't quite the same. You know, he wasn't that, that well, monster. The th- you know, the thing is, you know, I was 245 pounds. He was 295 pounds. I could get away with selling and fighting from the bottom up when I'm out there with guys that are 40, 50 pounds bigger than me. But he was so big that the the match that stands out to me, I watched it television on home and it just shook my head. It was a, and no, and don't take this wrong against anybody I'm talking about because it, it just is what it is. But he was in a match with, uh, with uh, Mike Rotunda on, on television. And I was watching the match and, and Mike, Mike, great amateur wrestler out of Syracuse. I mean, great hand experienced everything. He was in the varsity club, of course. And I, and him, and I don't know whether it was for the world television title or what it was, but I just looked and I said, that doesn't even look like the same guy I worked with. You know, it doesn't even, I mean, if, 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 if I just squinted my eyes and was watching this match, I would never know who that was. And they changed his in ring, you know, air so much in, in being a baby face that it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was wasted to me because again, to me, he was, it was, that moment was great, but it would also have been great to see him go back and switch back heel and turn around and, and, and say, you know, and drop an elbow on Dusty and put the boots to him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, Cause it, he was just a great heel. I mean, just, you know, the, the press conference with my mom where, where uh, we were there and Ivan was there at the signing and, and going across the table, I mean, my mom wasn't smart to the business, and she sold that thing like, like I had just been jumped by two thugs, and she didn't have a clue what to do to help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, so she wasn't smart enough at all. You know, at all. Wow, none. none. Yeah, so we got a great reaction out of her. <laughs> Did they tell you not to smart her up for that reason? Well, it was it wasn't that. It was just a different time. We kayfabed. It was different. We protected the business. Didn't you know? We didn't talk. We didn't we didn't talk about that stuff. And uh, yeah, and and my whole family, my grandparents and uncles and just cousins and and just so many people that were fans before I got in the business and then I'm in the business. You know, you just, you, you had to protect that code of honor that, uh, you know, had gone on, you know, back to George Hackenschmidt and those guys. Did you ever smarten her up? Oh, I did. Of course. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, cause she probably still is, you know, Nikita. No, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. She, she, you know, after the accident and I was out of the scene and, and all that stuff, uh, you know, she certainly was aware of, you know, that it was a business. And uh, I think she was thankful that, uh, yeah, because I think there was a lot of nights that she she watched me come out looking a lot the worse for wear that uh, she wasn't sure how long I was going to be able to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
the thing is like with you it's fu funny like before you mentioned like with flair like okay you're supposed to few flair but i can't believe that they thought at 37 like he was too old you know like that's just crazy to me because i know in, in kevin sullivan my uh, buddies with him he always says like through the 90s they were talking about how old flair was but i can't believe in the mid 80s they were saying that because my god 87 88 89 might be his best year ever with steamboat and terry funk it's like wow why are they thinking he's too old he's He's uh like Kevin always says he's Dracula. It's not too old. He's just gonna keep uh, wrestling and being great. Well, they they were, all they had to, to measure it by was people people from the past, and nobody thought about you know athletes being able to maintain you know this spectacular level of performance you know in, through their forties, much less their fifties. So it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a different era, uh, and it was a transition, you know, coming into place that, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, he and Terry Funk had some of the most ama amazing matches ever, uh, when all, both of them would have been considered so far past their prime that, uh, you know, if, uh, if Jim Hurd had had his way, they'd, they'd have both been sent to the glue factory. Yeah, right. Isn't that crazy? And you had yeah. Flair Steamboat, which was maybe the greatest wrestling feud of all time in 89. So, I mean, he wasn't old. And then he was he 41 at that point, 44D, I guess. So, I mean, yeah. that's crazy too. even think we wouldn't have gotten that if they if they had their way. Yeah. So, you know, it, it fitness, nutrition, you know, modern science, whatever you want to call it, you know, just things have, have have lended athletes to be able to go, you know, far past what was a prime. I mean, look at George Foreman coming out of retirement like he did and, and the noise he made in the pro boxing world. So, you know, uh, there's been a lot of athletes that have been able to have a career way past what was traditionally considered, you know, okay. You know, it, cause even in my head, I didn't want to be out there bouncing around past. I really didn't want to do it past 30. I mean, and I was only 27 and I was already thinking, you know, 30 years old running around out there in your, your speedos, you know, <laughs> acting like Superman is, is, uh, is, it might be a little egotistical. I don't know. I would still wanted to be doing that. I had other things I wanted to do besides just wrestle. When you go back and you look at it, like I'm always amazed at you because it's like, wow, you're like not bitter at all. Obviously, very successful. I know you you have a, it's like you mentioned before, but I knew it anyway. But like the, the job you have is very intensive. You very successful. So I mean, it's like one of the things where not bitter at all, but you could have been. And you know, the other side of the spectrum, Ole Anderson forever was like this bitter guy. You would think something, you know, <laughs> like you know, something really bad happened to him. Like it's it's just weird to to think about. It. It's like, wow, Magnum's not bitter at all. Like how do you kind of I don't know, like to even me myself, if something like that happened, I'd be like, ah, you know, I, I, I could have been NWA world champ or, you know, I could have been bitter, but you're not like that at all. Why is that? Well, I got, first of all, I got a great deal of satisfaction out of what I did. I mean, I accomplished more in a, in a little less than seven year window yeah. than, than some guys that had a 30, 40 year career. And, and, and I, you know, I was talking to Mick Foley about this, you know, if, if you, have a career that you have what they have that moment, like his moment coming off the top of the, you know, the cage, you know, going through that table that people have talked about to this day. You know, I had the, I quit match with Tully that 36 years later still holds up and people still show it and study it and talk about it. And it's still relevant, you know, 36 years later. And, and I was fortunate enough not, you know, to to have had a, a stellar match with and program with with Wahoo McDaniel's, who was arguably you know the greatest you know Native American athlete in the, in history, as far as I'm concerned, and he passed the U.S. title to me right in the middle of a sold out Charlotte Coliseum where he was legend, and then Tully, and then to have the best of seven series with Nikita, I mean. I don't know that you could feel better about it or worse about it if you'd been 15 times world's heavyweight champion. Uh, I, I had those moments that people only dream of where you stand in the middle of the ring and have such loud adoration coming to you. It, it goes like white. The noise is so deafening. It, it goes silent. It's so loud. And um, 
you know, those were magic times and it was a season of my life and it was a memorable time. And I, and I consider it all a blessing because the fact of the matter is I broke my neck and paralyzed from the neck down. And I'm told my chances of ever doing anything short of being able to sit in a chair and have somebody spoon feed me for the rest of my life is a million to one, you know? So everything that came above and beyond that was such a huge accomplishment that I could understand because I had to come back an inch at a time from nowhere. And I never took any of that for granted. So I, you know, I'm a man of faith and I really had to test that faith during that time because when the rubber meets the asphalt, you're going to find out if you're, if, if you just a lot of talk or if you can, you can implement those, those things that you've said and all those flowery words or not. And it, it sustained me. And, uh, I wanted to be a good example to, uh, to people just not to give up in so many challenges of life. And that really is the reason why initially I did the things I did on television. I came back, worked a little, little bit as a, you know, manager or on the side, did color commentating, did some things. And it really wasn't because it was satisfying to me because I'll tell you right now, it was not because being young and still, you know, knowing you should be in your prime performing, it was, there was very little personal gratification, satisfaction in that at all. But I, I wanted to be out there for people to see that I hadn't just crawled in some hole, some pity pot somewhere. And that, you know, I, I still had a life and I still had uh, to find my way and, and that I wasn't giving up and I was going to, you know, may, maybe not triumph the way others would view I, I, what a triumph would be, you know, to some, you know, anything short of coming back and reclaiming, you know, what was, you know, quote unquote, rightfully mine and had been predestined to happen. I count it all like this huge blessing because here's the fact I've, I've fathered three children and I've raised four additional outside of them. I've got amazing, amazing family. I got a wife that loves me and I couldn't be where I'm at today and have done all those other things without having just a trail of travesty in my rearview mirror and regrets and time lost from family and things that were satisfying to me and applauded by possibly millions, but I could have lost my, my own soul in that process. And I'm really glad that I didn't. Yeah. It's amazing. Like uh, what you were able to accomplish. Cause like you said, million in one shot. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. I was just hard headed enough that to me, he threw out like the gaunt, the gauntlet, the challenge. Oh, oh, really? You know, <laughs> like you've met me five minutes and you're telling me what I'm capable of or what the rest of my life's going to be like. And I'm thankful that I didn't have all that brain knowledge that he had because I, I understood how devastating what I had done myself really was. You know, I, I'm, I might not have just had the, you know, the grit tenacity that it took just to fight my way out of intensive care for 30 days and then four more months of intensive, you know, work in the hospital, overcoming blood clots and everything else. Uh, you know, I mean, they didn't think I was going to make it for the, about the first couple of weeks, much less walk out ever. Man, scary stuff. So basically it was raining that night. Like when, when, when the accident, it, it, it was rain, it was raining cats and dogs. Oh, and, 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 you know, the, the bottom line is I tell people, you know, cause why likes, you know, say, oh, well, you know, they were saying was alcohol involved, this involved. And I said, nothing was involved. Honestly, you know, the honest truth of the fact is I was driving too fast for the conditions. The car hydroplaned had it been going 15, 20 miles an hour slower. It wouldn't have happened, but I was just so accustomed, you know, to living life in the fast lane and driving i've driven millions of miles literally all over the country through horrible storms and everything else and i just didn't take i wasn't taking that extra precaution and care 
that, that I probably ordinarily would have done because it was only a few minutes from my house. So I wasn't even, you know, my mind was on autopilot, like a horse heading to the barn. I was on a path I'd been on hundreds of times and, you know, I, you know, I was going to be there in, in just a few minutes and uh, boom, it just happened literally in the blink of an eye and I never lost consciousness. And it was just the most surreal thing that I can remember much too vividly here 36 years later than, uh, than you would like. Right. Yeah. That's so scary. My God. Like you said, you're hard headed, you're tough, but man, just one of those things, you just don't know what's going on. It's pretty scary. Yeah. I got to ask you about Tully though. I know we're, we're talking about some serious stuff, but let's talk about some, some happy stuff. What is the relationship like, or really what was it like then? Cause it seemed like there's gotta be something there. You guys, cause you guys brawling. Yes. There's been brawls before there's been, I quit matches and stuff, but I mean, that's like the, the Holy grail of them. You know what I mean? It seems like, man, these two must really hate each other. It's like that kind of thing. Well, the thing uh, Tully and I met, I met after I've been in the business six months and I went to work for his dad, Joe Blanchard in San Antonio. And we sat and talked and of course, Tully, you know, he was, he was already a seasoned, you know, veteran when I met him. And, you know, he told me what his desires were for the business, what he wanted to accomplish. And it was always, he wanted to be the best heel straight up in the country and, and not, you know, not to be like the heel that, you know, secretly wanted to be the baby face and get the accolades of the people. He wanted to be the best, nastiest, most dastardly hated heel that he could possibly be. And, I saw that intensity in him then, and he saw something in me back then, even though I'd only been six months in the business. And so when I left, left, left his dad and went down to Florida and, and you know, the next time Tully and I see each other is three years later. And in that three years, I've gone through a huge metamorphosis because I've, I've, I've been under the, the tutelage of, of Eddie Graham for, a year and a half and dusty and then then bill watts and superstar bill dundee ernie ladd uh the, the midnight express the butch reed mr wrestling too all these people that had a hand on helping me develop this character so as i come into to to uh, crockett promotions he sees this intense version of a baby face is equally as intense as he is as a heel. And he saw dollar signs immediately. I mean, he was, uh, he, his wheels were spinning right from the get go. How can I get he and I involved in something? So, you know, on the heels of, of winning the U.S. title from Flair, uh, and then subsequently, you know, not that long after, Tully uh, having Baby Doll come down dressed as a police officer, hand him a roll of, of quarters and knocked me out cold to win the title uh, from me in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where I just won it a couple months before from, from uh, Wahoo. Uh, the heat was intense from the beginning, and every match we had was just a, it was a piercing brawl, just a fight. People knew we just, we hated each other, and they knew when they saw us, you know, in a match, it didn't matter where it was, seven nights a week, we had that kind of match. And we did that for eight solid months until, until we came, came back around to, to uh, the I Quit match. So we just had, I mean, I, I could have wrestled him in my sleep. I mean, we just, we had that, we had that chemistry. We had, we were both in great shape. We could go 20, 30 minutes, like completely all out hard as you could go. And, uh, it, it was just a joy. And, uh, you know, you don't have that kind of chemistry with, you know, just anybody. It, it was, it was, it was a special, special time. And, uh, you know, he was the perfect foil for a very brash young, you know, guy like Magnum was. Did you get along behind the scenes? I know obviously chemistry inside the scenes, but did you guys get along behind the scenes? We had a great, we had a very, very much mutual goals and respect for each other. We, we didn't travel in the same circles and back then with kayfabe was huge. So, you know, heels and baby faces weren't ever really around each other. I mean, we, we saw each other, you know, of course in buildings where, 
you know, there might be a, a means of getting back and forth. But typically, we were the the dressing rooms were, you know, completely separated. And uh, you know, unless it was a closed group function that the Crockett's were putting on or something, we weren't we weren't you know that many social situations, uh, you know, together. He always says he never said I quit. He just said yes. Do you you think that he really quit? Because it seemed like he was oh yeah there. oh he yeah was he, he, was, he, he was he was yeah he was winning out of that. <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, and it was great because I mean it gave it gave the heel the you know the thing to 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 fuss about. But you know you got a guy, you know two hundred forty plus pound guy standing over top of you with a nine inch spike, you know poking in your head. Uh, you know, you can say, yes, I, you know, I don't know, whatever, but, you know, it was obvious, you know, to everybody in the, in attendance that, you know, he wanted out of the, out of the match. And it was, uh, uh, it, it, and again, it, that just shows you how everything had to line up the moon and stars. I mean, we, we knew we were going to use a foreign object. We didn't know what it was going to be. I mean, baby doll just reaches under the ring, knowing there'll be something underneath there and comes up with that wooden chair. And she's strong enough to heave it over top of that ring, you know, in one swoop. Make no doubt, she was tougher than than about eighty percent of the men you'd ever come across. And she flings that thing over the top of the ropes, and Tusty but I mean, and Tully busts that chair up, and it comes up with just the nastiest looking weapon you could ever want to have. So it, it you know, if if you just set out to do it like just like that, you pro- again, you probably couldn't duplicate it. Wow, that's awesome that it was just kind of spur of the moment on the spot because it looks like, oh, this is predetermined. He's going to break the chair and get the spike. Like, it seems like it, but it's not at all. That's Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the chair wasn't gimmick, nothing. It was just a wood folding chair like they set up around around the ring, and he just grabbed an extra, she grabbed an extra one and hoisted it over there. Had to get something. Wow, good old days of just kind of calling it in the ring, huh? Yeah, well, and, and, every, and everything was back then, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we, we knew we knew how we were going to finish it, but we we had no idea when we were doing it that it was going to it was going to have that kind of historical impact. And, uh, you know, I mean, because really for him and I, it was just like another night of what we were used to doing every night. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like you and Dusty, again, I know more, obviously, teammates, but another guy with unbelievable chemistry. Obviously, this kind of goes beyond wrestling, too. You guys were best buddies. Yeah, we were. And uh, we we had, you know, struck up that friendship down in in uh, Florida when I worked for uh, Championship Wrestling in Florida and and, um, and and created a bond that was, uh, it was kind of like we were, we were this connected big brother, little brother kind of deal. And, uh, and, and it's so, it's so ironic because when I, so when I went to mid South to take on the, the role there and, and become Magnum TA, cause that's where Magnum was born. Uh, didn't know what that character really meant. Didn't know what, what it looked like, what he was going to do anything other than that. I had this great name that Andre, the giant had given me. So for the first six months that I'm there, it was it was a struggle because one week they'd have me dressing up in a three piece suit, and the next week they'd have me come out in so you know a uh, Hawaiian shirt. The next week I'd be doing something like a punk rock outfit. They they really weren't sure what to do with me. And and at the time, Ernie Ladd was the booker. He's the one that brought me in because Paul Orndorff had left, opened up the spot, and gone to work for the WWE. So I've been there six months and Ernie comes up to me and says, kid, this just, this just isn't working like we thought it was going to. And I think you, you know, you know, you, you ought to go back to Florida maybe for a little bit or something. And, uh, and I called Dusty up and I said, man, they said, I said, I guess this thing isn't going to work out like I thought. And, uh, he said, what do you think? He said, well, he said, I know you always like to ride motorcycles because I've ridden motorcycles since I was 16 years old. And uh, he said, go buy your Harley and come down to Florida, bring it back to Florida, and we'll have you take that Harley and ride it into the towns. And we're going to make make you the lone wolf Magnum TA. Different different vibe, different deal. So Jim Duggan takes me down, and we go to Baton Rouge Harley-Davidson, buy this brand-new Harley, buy this 
this Harley Davidson jacket and I'm wrestling in a little town outside of Baton Rouge. So I ride up into the town on the motorcycle and everybody's humming. All the people are just like buzzing, like some whole different cats pulled up. And I go in the dressing room wearing that leather jacket and everybody like looking at me completely different than they had for six months, same guy coming in the door. And so I felt the whole persona changing and I was, you know, I was getting ready to, you know, do my little time and, and get out of there and, and pack my bags and go to Florida. And Bill Watts sees me and says, oh, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. I got big plans for you. And he brought Dundee in, whatever. But long story short, you know, Dusty always had that vision of creating something big. And so the jacket that's represented in the figure, which had never been done, is truly a huge pivot point for me and changing just the whole vibe of what this character was all about. And it enabled me just to kind of like, you know, Fonzie and, and the happy days back in the day, the leather jacket yes, yes. gave him the vibe. Well, it did the same thing to me and it gave me all of a sudden I started being comfortable in portraying this character that was bigger than life. That was really just a magnification of something I was very comfortable in myself. And, and that's what made it all happen. And Dusty was just sitting back watching it laughing because he knew he was going to bring, he was going to bring me back to Florida, you know, with all that. So then he watches me have this great ride for the next year. And, uh, and he in turn came to work for, for the Crockett's and uh, things didn't start out like he thought they were going to start out. And there was, it was a little rough there. And Barry Windham had come in as, as the, the big baby face star. And they were, they were starving. Those guys just weren't making any money. And Barry just up and left and went to New York and left them high and dry. And uh, which was not well thought of, thought of by a lot of folks at that moment, as you can imagine. Yep. And uh, Dusty calls me in the middle of the night, puts Jim Crockett on the phone with me, introduces us. And he says, if you'll, if come take a chance, come take a chance on us. We will give you the the greatest opportunity you can ever want to have in this business. And they did. They were good to their word. And I, I left a place that was on fire and we were selling out every night. And I, you know, I'd had my first six figure year in the business and uh, to go to a place where, you know, guys weren't hardly making enough money to buy beanie weenies. And, uh, but they took care of me from, from day one and uh, they gave me the keys to the Emerald city. And the horsemen start, you know, racking themselves up, becoming huge heels. And you and Dusty were great foes for the horsemen. I mean, it just goes perfectly together. We, we were. And, uh, and then there was those, those James boys guys. They were kind of interesting too. Uh, the, uh, our, our alter ego. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and it, you know, America's team and, and, you know, we had just started playing with all that because it was like easy. That was like, you know, some things you had to work hard at, but that was just, you know, him and I together was just like a magic chemistry. So, you know, I mean, I could go in there and, and, and do, do the heavy lifting part of the batch and, and he could, he could sell like nobody's business. And, and, uh, between the two of us, it was, it was just a very unique combo. Uh, and again, it was like, like my big brother kind of deal. That's where we, and that's where we came up with the Frank and Jesse from, because he was always Frank and I was always Jesse before we ever came up with the James boys. And that was our little, little code word thing. Uh, so, so, uh, so anyway, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great relationship. It was, uh, uh, you know, huge impact on my career, you know, while, while I was, while I was there in the ring and then, uh, you know, afterwards the friendship, you know, carried on for a lifetime. Yeah. It's funny. Like the, what happens, obviously you're with your career, but it, the relationship never changes. Like, you know, you're in rink, but he brings you to WCW, right. And then you start working behind the scenes. So he kind of always was with you and always buddies with you. And then obviously everybody remembers that awesome moment when he teams with Nikita and you make that surprise appearance at a Crockett cup. I mean, phew, the emotion, the crowd, I mean, that, that's crazy too. So it seems like you and Dusty were always uh, hand in hand, no matter what. Yeah, no matter what. And, um, 
and I I got to see him. The so, ironically, as this is, he passed away on my birthday, so wow. I can't ever forget that. But the the November before, we did a uh, there was an event up in New York at LaGuardia, where they have a fan fest convention kind of thing annually, and my youngest son and I drove up to uh, be a part of it. And the promoter that brought me in had brought Dusty in. So we got to sit together for about four hours and, and like really reminisce about a lot of cool things. And, and, uh, we got to meet my, meet my son and, and, uh, just, you know, he was big. He was so huge on family. He loved his, his kids and his grandkids. And, uh, you know, he really, really mellowed out over, over time. And, and what, a, you know, what a great teacher he ended up being for all those kids at the, uh, at the NXT because uh, that, and that's what he called them, his kids, because he he mentored all, mentored all of them. I mean, Charlotte Flair and Seth Rollins and uh, you know just countless folks that came through that that system were all all had the touch of Dusty put on them, and he was just amazing at helping people find what their inner you know mojo is to to you know to to come out of come out of your shell. And, and, you know, be able to present this character to the world because that's what he'd done. He'd been a study his whole life. He'd watched, you know, watched the great ones and he'd taken a little from this one, a little from that one and molded some of his own magic around it. And, uh, you know, and then he got to where he was a teacher could help other people find that within themselves. With that too, obviously you're Cody's godfather. So, I mean, you're literally, I mean, family, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I was there the uh, the night he was born and, and uh, I was there holding him at his christening in uh, Tampa, Florida. So. So, uh, yeah, I've, the the ties with uh, with he and I and the family and and uh, Michelle are, are deep. What do you think about your godson, Cody Rhodes, today? Like, what do you think about him in WB today? kicking ass i know he's injured but like what do you think about his run before you know AEW and wb and kind of blowing it up at wrestlemania i saw him i saw him when he left the wwe and was working that you know you know recreating himself in the indie world yep. before before aew and uh he was always so laser focused that he had you know he had a purpose he had a plan and and he you know reinvented himself after he had to overcome the you know the the characters things that he portrayed in the the wwe that he was just not happy with and he had tried so hard to pitch them other ideas and other things to you know give him some depth to to do something else and you know they didn't see it they didn't seem capable of it so he's a he's just this great story of 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 self-promotion and and overcoming you know, the quote unquote experts. And then you mold all that athleticism that he's got in his storytelling ability. And then his business mind, I mean, he's truly the triple threat. Uh, and his, his dad, I, I know, could just not be more proud of, uh, you know, what he's gone on to do. And, uh, you know, now, he's, now Cody's a dad. And uh, I, I know when he comes back from this injury, he's going to, uh, cement yet another chapter uh, in his life and his career in the industry. Speaking about family, how's Tessa, Tessa Blanchard? How is she doing? What's, uh, what's the latest she, with her? She's doing fantastic. She has uh, uh, enrolled in, in, in uh, college in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, is working on a degree there and still maintaining her, her workout regime and still, you know, wrestling some indie things on the on the weekends, but uh, Tessa's always been like a really sharp uh, study of of life, and she realizes that you know, first of all, from a woman's perspective, you know, forty probably truly is the you know the the stretch you've stretched it about as far as you comfortably want to go and be taking bumps in the ring and putting your body through that stuff. So. She, you know, she saw what it takes to be on the grand stage and the big stage of it, but knows that you know you, you've got to have 
you've got to have an end game plan and something that's not, you know, just got you tunnel vision focused at one thing and then one thing go wrong and you don't have anything to fall back on. So she's preparing herself for her future. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of her. She's in the best shape of her life. And by the time she, uh, with, with the things that she pre-qualified in, uh, with, with courses and things she'd already taken, you know, in probably three, three and a half years, she'll be out and still be a young woman and still have, you know, probably the opportunities of a lifetime in front of her. If that's still the path she wants to pursue. As we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. Just give us uh, one last uh, big push for uh, Powertown Wrestling and maybe like what's next and where everybody can find it. Well, PowertownWrestling.com, where everybody can, can find it. And there is so much, so many stories yet to be told from from this this venture. Uh, the the rebirth of, of legends to a, a new generation uh, and, and ongoing uh, adaption of what the just the, the amazing people that that helped build this industry that uh, that is still you know flourishing so well today is, is going to be something that we're going to be able to relay to the old wrestling fans, new wrestling fans or people that are just really interested in understanding the history of where it all came from. And in doing so, we're going to create uh, unique lines of collectible uh, items. Uh, the action figures are certainly, uh, you know, a, something that is going to continue in the line over and over until we've represented uh, the people we have on this roster. But we've got other really unique things in mind that I think the fans will be excited about and be happy to be able to get their hands on. So uh, we're, we're thinking outside the box a little bit. And uh, yeah, trying to be creative and and do justice to these people that that deserve to have their own reckoning in in modern time. Uh, I can imagine a young Mad Dog Vashon running roughshod through the likes of the locker room of the WWE right now. It would be a thing of beauty, and I I would uh, I was I, I chuckle as I think about it. But uh, all all those guys paid their dues, paved the way. Uh, and and made what's happening today possible by their just hundreds of thousands of miles of going up and down the road and and uh, wrestling whether they're hurt whether they felt like it or not and and doing everything in their power to continue to entertain generation after generation of wrestling fan. Now for Magnum TA. When you look back at it, and obviously the figure is going to be immortalized forever. Everybody's going to love these awesome collectible figures. They look like a million dollars. But what do you think is your legacy? Like if somebody's looking at that figure and, you know, in the future, like what are they going to think of Magnum TA? I hope they'll see somebody that isn't just the sum of his exterior parts. Um, you can't measure somebody by the amount of weights they can press or the amount of dollars they've put in the bank. Uh, it there there's a there's a grit that uh that that is an intangible that that i've tried to be my motto my entire life to to not not make excuses but but see things as challenges and and embrace those challenges in a positive light and i've done my best to to do that and and continue to face challenges each and every day some some that should make me cry, and but you know I, I can still find humor in them, and uh, and I, I apply that same uh, philosophy each and every morning. My feet hit the floor, and I go get up and do the same thing all over again. And uh, I, I I just hope they they see someone that, that was inspiring of sorts, and maybe make makes your challenges uh, look like something that you can face and overcome. Uh, on your own without having to, you know, ever think about saying I quit. Love it. Just one final question. Do you have a favorite uh, John Wayne movie? Uh, True Grit was probably my favorite. It's a good one. I love the shootest, but True Grit's awesome as well. 
where can everybody find you? Social media. I know obviously you're on Twitter and stuff, but where can everybody find you? Well, I will eventually link it all to, to our, our power town uh, website part when it gets all, all up and running, but uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's, I think it's Magnum T Terry Allen, Magnum TA on Instagram. It's the real Magnum TA on, uh, on uh, Twitter and uh goodness i don't even look at those things so much even to know but if, if you search it up it'll be easy to tell it's me because i have a very uh, entertaining uh colorful bunch of things on my website with my kids and and family and extracurricular things that we do so uh, i'll be easy to find awesome well magnum thank you so much for all the time today really appreciate it it was a pleasure as always and uh thank you for all the accolades this has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.